Beloved Church of God, beginning our service, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to once again be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance and the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you, in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your holy countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy face. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so, as always, before we begin to study the depths of our unsearchable inheritance in Christ Jesus, the unchanging epigraph to the study of our inheritance is in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so that we, as members of the body of Christ, partake with Christ and all that was written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed in a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth. And I want to again say that this place of Scripture is the calling and vocation of every man of God that has been born of God. Not the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not evangelism for the salvation of the world, nor any kind of material prosperity, nor the casting out of demons, but specifically the opportunity and the ability to set aside the former way of life of the old man. Because when we are born of God, it is our spirit that is born, but our soul, our body, our emotions, our habits, all of this remains the same. Nothing is changed. And now what we need to do is, through our renewed spirit, 
We need to set aside our former way of life, but the spirit that is born of God is in, in state of infancy, and his inc- he is incapable of withstanding the strength of the human soul with its unbridled will and intellect, which he serves as a god, although he does not notice this. And immediately, the old man that is living And the child that is born of God begins his work. He is clothed in religious garments and he begins to zealously help, to zealously preach, to zealously sing, to zealously sacrifice, and so forth. And only then, when all of a sudden a person realizes and recognizes that he needs to immerse his soul on the death of the Lord Jesus, that it is specifically for this that was given to him the three functions of baptisms, water, Holy Spirit, and fire. It is for this goal, in order to immerse himself in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the soul shows shows its its armory. And then a person runs away from his soul in horror, just as Moses had run away from his staff, which had become the snake. And only when he takes the snake by the tail, does he, only when he renews his thinking with the spirit of his mind, there's a sequence. First, you must set aside your former way of life. Then you renew your thinking with the spirit of your mind. And only then can you clothe yourself into the new man. And so let us remember that this is our calling, and if it loses its significance for us, then we are going to perish, we are going to lose our salvation. Millions of Christians, they think that they are headed towards paradise, whereas they are headed towards hell. God cannot change His Word. He can't change it. He is unchanging in His Word. People, they do not learn the Word of God. They simply do not study it or learn it. Their formulas resist the spirit of Holy Scripture oftentimes is preached that that is not in Holy Scripture at all and so forth. And so for the fulfillment of this commandment representing our calling, there are three basic commands and verbs. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. And answering these fateful questions to set aside, to renew, and to clothe will determine whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it, because of which our names would forever be blotted out of the book of life, although at one point they were written there. In a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question. Specifically, what conditions must we fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man, who is created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth? With regard to this, we have stopped to study the deep and the great divine mystery that is hidden in the format of the 18th Psalm of David in which the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom inherent only to Him, 
unveils to his disciples the conditions, the conditions of this allegory on the foundation of which we are called to cooperate our prayer of faith with the name of God, El Elyon, or Most High. The essence of this requirement is comprised of, in our distress upon taking off the old man with his works, it is specifically when all of a sudden the old man recognizes that you are going against him. He has helped you so much. He was with you so closely, and then all of a sudden you have uh, you have said that he's an enemy, and you want to get rid of him and and immerse him in the death of Christ. It is specifically at this time that we are called to call out to the Most High, like to our God, and proclaim the faith that is hidden in our heart, with which we cooperate our faith with who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are for God in Christ Jesus, and what we must do to inherit all of that which God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We have noted that this parable is one of the strongest images that portrays the collaboration of our renewed thinking in the image of King David with the name of God Most High in resistance against our carnal mind in the image of King Saul and reigning sin in the face of the old man with his works. In order to erect in our earthly body the power of eternal life and clothe our earthly body into the imperishable fruit of righteousness. And so in one body, in one government, there are three kings, King David, King Saul, and Hagar, the Amalekite king, as we have studied before, or another Gentile king that represents the old man and with which usually a union is made of a fleshly person and all of them fight for over our body. The battle, the battle of the war is the heart of a person. Of course, only these people can feel the pierce of the battle and understand that the, the morning is coming, the morning is coming and is near. Resurrection is drawing near. The dawning is coming near when our bodies are going to be clothed in incorruptibility. And they are going to be clothed at the time appointed by God. He will look in the heart of a person. And if this revelation is clearly written there, and this was his calling, then this person is going to be made the standard of greatness and glory of God here on earth. And he is going to throw all of the forces of darkness into horror in the whole world. And heaven is going to be astonished by this. And so according to its character, the prayer song of David contains three parts in which the standard of the character of a just prayer is presented, which is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets. I would like to, again, with joy, always continue to remind you that the dignity of a king or our prince is comprised of our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, which gives us the authority to rule over the emotional sphere of our body and control it by the bridle as if controlling a war horse. What's interesting is that the word prince or king in Russian means a person who controls his horse. 
not just he who is controlling or governing, but he who bridles his horse. And between a horse and this person, there are very close relations that exist. The horse trusts his master, and he submits to him in everything, and he follows him, and he rejoices when the master says where to go. He waits for the command. He waits for the direction about where he shall go. He is not scared of this. On its own, a horse is 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 a is an animal that can scare easily. He can scare of some kind of noise or sound. But when he falls in love with his master, he doesn't hear anything else. He receives courage and he is ready to go into battle following his master and he is ready to to perish if need be. The dignity of a priest gives us the authority to draw near to God as a warrior of prayer in order to fulfill just intercession for the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. The dignity of a prophet gives our new man the right to enter into the Holy of Holies in order to hear the voice of God under the lid of the golden ark in our heart. And for God, it gives the right to hear the voice of our intercession and respond to it. This is all under the condition that we have built our body into a temple of God with all of its belongings and with all of its order. It's very rare that someone has built himself in a temple that he would have the golden Ark of the Covenant, that there would be the golden censer, that there would be the golden uh, golden table of showbreads, the golden lamp, the bronze altar, the bronze sea, and so forth. This is uh, very, uh, this is a rarity that God searches for about who wants to do this. So scripture calls us to build ourselves into a spiritual home. When we are born of God, we are not a spiritual dwelling. Apostle Paul says, as living stones, build yourselves into a spiritual dwelling and a holy place so that you can bring God a pleasing sacrifice. Because how can one pray, not having built himself into a spiritual dwelling, because a prayer is a sacrifice that must be offered on an altar? You will say, what shall we do? We've repented. Do we not pray? No, of course you should pray. But our prayer is not accepted as the prayer of a priest at this point. It is accepted as the prayer of Hagar in the wilderness. God had even heard Hagar in the wilderness, and she did not need to build her prayer in such a way as a priest would build it. But if a priest tries to pray as Hagar had did, God is going to reject this kind of priest. And so the first part of this allegory defines the state of David's heart as a warrior prayer, which is the basis for the just status of his prayer that is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets. The second part uncovers the contents of a just prayer that is inherent to kings, priests, and prophets, how prayer must be created so that our words of prayer do not have any impurities of the flesh. So, uh, so that there are no impurities of the flesh, we must cleanse it so that it could be worthy, worthy to be king, priest, and prophet and give God the basis to deliver us from all the hands of our enemies, just as God had delivered David. And a third part in an epic genre illustrates a prayer battle itself that is beyond understanding to the mind of man. In a certain format, we have already studied the first part and have stopped to study the second part, which unveils the components of a just prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Although there are 50 names, on these eight, these eight names, they contain all 50 names. They are 
they flow into one, they verify the authenticity of one another, and they uphold one another, and they act in a balance with one another. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock of Israel, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The word to call on the Lord means that this is a priest calling upon the Lord. Only a priest can call upon the name of the Lord. And so eight names of God with which we must pray and which we with which we must turn to God. And before we do do we do we say something to God, it's necessary to testify who God is for us, what God has done for us, and who we are to Him. And in these eight names we can begin with these eight names we can begin our prayer. Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock of Israel. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. I'm not sure who is at fault for my microphone going off or where it's coming from. In a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied our portion and the powers of the names of God, strength, rock, fortress, and deliverer. And we have stopped to study our inherited portion in the name of God, rock of Israel. And before we go the way of all the earth, David and his words had magnified God in his name, Rock of Israel, and the powers of which God made with David an eternal covenant, firm and immutable. Let's remember these the last words of this man. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Take a look at how he prays. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, so we must pray and say, God, what has God said of us in Scripture? What has He said about us in Scripture? He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, a clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. And so, uh, the name Rock of Israel, containing the nature of the Most High and the character of his words, belongs to the portion of warriors of prayer that have the dignity of a king, priest, and prophet. Given that in Hebrew the name Israel means warrior, prayer, or a person that gives the Holy Spirit the right to fight with him against the powers of his old man in the face of his soul that does not carry the sign of circumcision. So when we say the word Israel and when Jacob had fought or wrestled with God and God had given him the name Israel, and he said, you will overcome men because you had wrestled with God. We have talked about how to wrestle with God is not to wrestle against him, but to wrestle along with him. Jacob had allowed the Holy Spirit to wrestle along with him against the horror in his soul in the face 
of his brother, Esau, whom he had feared greatly, and therefore he had prayed, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to pray along with him, because it is impossible to withstand God in prayer, and never would God give an opportunity to do so. God would destroy this person that would resist him in prayer. That's why some people think that he had wrestled against him, he had challenged him. No, in fact, he did not resist God. He, on the contrary, he had allow the Holy Spirit for him to fight or wrestle along with him, to pray along with him. He wrestled with him, not against him, but with him, against his enemy, against the old man who had risen within him and wanted to destroy him. And so the word rock of Israel in Hebrew contains these unearthly dignities such as the tip of a mountain cliff, stone or a stone fence, shelter a shadow from the stone, victorious, an elephant tusk of ivory from which we are called uh, to build in the temple of our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, means eternal dominion, the promise of imperishable food, and consolation. First, this kind of prayer in which David proclaims his portion in the eight names of God Most High, this tells us that this prayer is made on the boundaries of a covenant made with God. Because the number eight is the number of a covenant. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Just like when Jesus was born, it said, on the eighth day, the infant was circumcised and he was called Jesus. The name of an infant is given at the time of circumcision. Before the eighth day, an infant does not have a name. Only upon circumcision is this name given. You will say, well, what do you do when a person is born again? Because circumcision is an example of baptism, immersion into death. It is a covenant that God makes in this baptism. But an infant, yet, yet he had fed from his mother. That's why a person who is born of God, but who has not yet made a covenant with God, he already has the right to drink the milk of his mother, to hear the word and to be filled by it. But he will make a covenant only when he is taught what is the essence of baptism and water, Holy Spirit and fire, and why this is needed. What is the necessity of making a, a covenant with God in baptism and baptism of water, Holy Spirit and fire? Second, this prayer is a strategic teaching that is called to be our calling and the holy garments for our clothing into a warrior prayer in the dignity of kings, priests, and prophets, anointed by the Holy Spirit to establish a kingdom over our earthly body, so to lead our emotional body as our war horse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. This is talking about liberation or freedom from sin. Truth will make you free from sin. Not, it's not a prayer that makes a person free from sin, but hearing the truth. When a person hears the truth and agrees with it, and when he begins to proclaim this truth, then it makes him free from sin. But if he does not know how to be freed from sin and says, Lord, deliver me, Lord, save me, Lord, help me, 
nothing will work. This is how Hagar plays in the Hagar prays in the wilderness. But you are priest; you must pray differently. You must demonstrate on what foundations God is supposed to save you. You must present the will of God and a covenant of God that, on the foundation of this covenant, He has promised to save you. Third, in this prayer, the eight names of God contain the totality of all other names of God that are found in an astonishing balance in relation to each other. Psalms 138.2 I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Fourth, this prayer contains the life of God and eight names of God that contain the bond of all other names of God, which are found in a remarkable balance with one another, are dissolved in one another, and verify the authenticity of one another. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. So these clouds, God fills with moisture. He fills them with the contents of his names. And he scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Job chapter 37, verses 11 through 16. When we proclaim with our lips the faith of God that is contained in our heart in the format of the word of God, which in our heart is the faith of God, God receives the basis to bring our prayer to fulfillment, given that it meets the requirements of his word. Considering this necessary union of God and man in the clothing of our earthly body in the pearl of incorruption, it becomes fatefully important for us to define God's role and man's role in every sphere of our being. Because the majority of Christians, due to their ignorance, which is the result of their stiffness, strive to fulfill the role of God which leads to perdition. Because by fulfilling the role of God, a person pr person presents himself as God. And for this, and to distinguish our role from the role of God, we arrived at the need to study the following questions. What characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose in the realization of our salvation, on the foundation of which lies the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, is our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, intended to fulfill? And what price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be our Rock of Israel in the realization of the salvation of our soul? And also, by what results can we define that God is truly our rock of Israel in the realization of our salvation that is comprised of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ? Only having grown the tree of life in the Eden of our heart, in the fruit of a meek tongue, as written, a meek, meek tongue is the tree of life in Proverbs 15.4, a meek tongue is the tree of life. A person receives the legal right to demonstrate righteousness of faith 
and the fruits of the tree of life, and he gains the grace of God in the face of a good wife, thanks to which in the temple of his body the grace of God reigns. It reigns only when a person has grown the tree of life and offers fruit, the fruit of righteousness. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. And so those people who think that they live under grace, whereas they do not have any righteousness, and they have not placed the deposit of their salvation to circulation, they can receive it in the resurrection of Christ in the format of the fruit of righteousness because Christ died for our sins, but he has, he has risen for our justification. We receive justification or righteousness only in resurrection when we died in baptisms it's necessary for someone to teach us how to die how to immerse oneself into baptism in water Holy Spirit and fire what do these three functions do because they are different functions that pursue one goal and so only a person who thirsts for hearing into the word of God, looks into the word, this word, lives by this word and dwells in this word, and the word of God dwells in him, will be able to withstand in battle against the ancient serpent and avoid the seducing snares of devil in order to inherit the salvation of his body through the redemption of Christ. Because today, this is the harlot that calls all those who are passing by these churches that yell and scream and people don't know that they are leading they are being led to death in a certain format we have already studied the essence of the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question tied to the condition giving the Holy Spirit the basis to lead us into the inheritance of the portion in the name of God rock of Israel the third question is comprised of this. What price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be our Rock of Israel? We have already studied the five components of the price giving God the basis to be our Rock, and we have stopped to study the sixth component. It is comprised of showing our zeal for God by fulfilling the long journey to the Rock Mountain of God called Horeb. If you can remove the echo, please. The path to the rock mountain of God, Horeb, is a path of total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God, which we are called to view in the state of our innermost man. Under the condition that the essence of total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God is made in our participation to the chosen remnants of God. Because if we view this event outside of the limits of our heart, and outside of the limits of the sanctuary in the face of the worshipers of God, we will not have the opportunity to fulfill the format of sanctification that is called to become the price for the power to the right to enter into the inheritance of our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. And so in this event, the price paid for the power to the right to inherit our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is comprised of our zeal for God expressed in the fulfillment of total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God presented in four components. In a certain format, we have already studied in this event three components of the price expressed in the completion of total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God. 
The first price of our total sanctification in this event, giving us the right to inherit our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is comprised of carrying out the decree of judgment over Ahab, the king of Israel, that in the coming years there will be neither dew nor rain except at our word. So we had studied this in the face of the prophet Elijah. The second price of our total sanctification in this event, giving us the right to inherit our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is comprised of completing the journey to the widow living in Sarepta of Sidon. The third price of our total sanctification in this event, giving us the right to inherit our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is comprised of our meeting with Obadiah, who was in charge of the house of Ahab, which preceded Elijah's meeting with Ahab, the king of Israel. Therefore, we will turn to the fourth part in which Elijah, during the evening sacrifice, before the eyes of Ahab and all of Israel, built an altar of the Lord on Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So Ahab had submitted to Elijah. So despite the fact that previously he had submitted to his emotions in the face of Jezebel, now he submits to his new man. And the mediator was Obadiah in this event, which we view as the golden censer, which is before the Holy of Holies and comes out into the outer court of the sanctuary. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire under it and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood but put no fire under it then you call the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire he is God so all the people answered and said it is well spoken now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Take a look at what kind of service they had. They had leaped. They had leapt. I know all of a sudden you probably imagine the uh, the demonic, false charismatics who think that leaping is what God wants, that the Holy Spirit is, is yielding this. No. The Holy Spirit acts in that you will sit and listen. He will never allow His emotions to be unbridled in order to leap during, during church service. This is false delusion. And so they leapt about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating on the toilet for excrement. And in the original in the original Bible, it does say on the toilet for excrement. Take a look at how he had mocked them and what he had said to them. 
or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel should be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And so the phrase, He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down, points to the fact that previously an altar of the Lord had existed on Mount Carmel. This factor points to the tendencies of servants of Baal building him altars on the place of altars of the Lord and portray them as altars of the Lord. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if he ministers also, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works, writes Apostle Paul. However, no matter how false apostles try to transform themselves into apostles of Christ, their altars will totally differ from one another. It is based on the type of makeup of the altars that should distinguish false apostles from true apostles of Christ. An altar of the Lord is called to represent, is called to be comprised of 12 stones. It is called to represent the motives and goals of a warrior prayer, which pursue the interests of the perfect will of God and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, in order to erect in the temple of our body the power of incorruption. It is according to the goals and motives of the heart that will express themselves in the proclamation of lips that should define what kind of altar we have built ourselves in, an altar of the Lord or an altar of Baal. The will of God presented to the servants of God Most High and servants of Baal will completely differ from each other. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. The altar of the Lord destroyed in Mount Carmel was comprised of twelve stones that were scattered around the altar of Baal. The twelve stones of the altar of the Lord scattered around the altar of Baal presented in the hearts of people victory and triumph over the servants of Baal, over the servants of God, the Yahweh of hosts.
In their essence, these 12 stones contain the image of the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ and the 12 base teachings, the essence of which was contained in the mystery of the 12 foundations of New Jerusalem with the 12 names of the apostles of Christ engraved on these 12 stones. The 12 pearly gates of New Jerusalem with the 12 names of the sons of Israel engraved on the pearly gates in the twelve bronze oxen on which a bronze sea was arranged in which the priests washed their bodies before putting on the sacred tunics to enter the sanctuary, and the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment of Aaron the high priest with the names of the sons of Israel engraved on these stones which served as a continual memorial before God. The prophet Elijah did not move to destroy the altar of Baal before the eyes of Ahab and the people because they considered it an altar of the Lord. He gathered the twelve stones scattered and cast down around the altar of Baal, and from them he restored the altar of the Lord. And to sanctify the altar of the Lord, Elijah made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed, and separated it from the altar of Baal and from the worshippers of Baal. Considering that Elijah the prophet, in the face of our new man, was on top of Mount Carmel alone, it follows that with this trench he separated himself from his nation, the house of his father, and the corrupt lusts of his soul, which was bad company for him. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33-34 through 34. And in that state, the, all of the people and the king and all, they did not know God in the state in which they were in. After Elijah had separated the altar of the Lord with a trench and the subject of goals that pursued in his heart the perfect will of God from the altar of Baal and his worshippers that pursued the goals of the old man living in their body, he placed wood on the altar of the Lord, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. Just as oil in the format of truth in the vessel of our heart is the means for upholding the fire in the lamp of our spirit. He himself is not fire, but he is the means for upholding the fire. The same way wood in the format of truth in our mind is the means for upholding the fire on the altar of the Lord, which is an expression of our readiness to fulfill the will of God. And therefore, the image of wood which the prophet Elijah in the face of our new man laid on the altar of the Lord representing our passionate strive to represent the interests of the perfect will of God in an evening sacrifice. The wood are the thoughts of our renewed thinking that have been made dependent on our, on our new man. It is the thoughts of renewed thinking that are called to serve as the means for upholding the fire on the altar of the Lord when they are kindled with the fire of the Holy Spirit descending on our sacrifice, which is the words of prayer that meet the requirements of the perfect will of God, a kind of evening sacrifice. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Psalms chapter 39 verses 2 through 4. So, out of the heart comes the fire, then it ignites in the thoughts, and then a person begins to speak under the direction of this fire. An image of this kind of dependence and cooperation of our new man living in our body 
with the rational capabilities of our soul also living in our body, are the Gibeonites. It was them who, that had prepared the wood in the temple of God for the sacrifice. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very, we are very far from you, when you dwell near us? Near therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them wood Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So pay attention what kind of relationship God had in the image in relation to our fleshly mind. In order to pass it through death where the fleshly mind would deny itself and say, we are ready to die, do with us as you please. And then they are made servants. Now you will be a servant, a slave of the new man. Renewed, The renewed mind is the servant of the new man. When the wood which presents represents the means for the fire was laid out by the prophet Elijah on the altar of the Lord, he cut a bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. A bull is a pure, large-horned, sacrificial animal symbolizing the image of our will, made dependent on our king, representing our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ. The cutting of the bull in pieces for a sacrificial offering to the Lord is the rejection of our will for the benefit of fulfilling the will of God. In the last detail of sanctification of oneself to God for the goal of total dedication in order to inherit our portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is to pour water on the burnt offering in the sequence and order that Prophet Elijah had followed. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. First Kings chapter 18, verses 34 to 35. They filled four buckets of water. If you paid attention, this method coincides to the image of the breastplate of judgment carrying the twelve precious stones in three rows, four stones in each row. According to four buckets, with four buckets, pour out three times. This image points to the service of the prophet Elijah in the face of our new man as a warrior of prayer and yields the state of a warrior of prayer. This state is expressed in a prayer that comes from the heart of a person and meets the requirements of the reigning teaching of Christ presented in the doctrine of baptisms, in the doctrine of laying on of hands, in the doctrine of resurrection, and in the doctrine of eternal judgment. So, pour out the four buckets three times. Each of these baptisms has triplicity. Considering that each of the four teachings contains in itself triplicity, 
which pursues one and the same goal but fulfills different functions in the pursuit of this goal. In Scripture, the image of water in its positive aspect contains two formats of wisdom. This is truth presented in the heart of a person in commandments of the Lord and the Holy Spirit who unveils the mystery of this truth in the heart. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So here is presented the word of God, which he had preached to the Samaritan in the form of water. And the Holy Spirit is also presented in water. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John chapter 7, verses 37-39. And so, the image of the twelve buckets of water is the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit, revealing the mystery in the twelve foundations of the wall of Jerusalem and in the twelve pearly gates that open the way to the tree of life, which bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit every month. And now the most important part of the sanctification for the sake of which the previous parts of our sanctification were performed is the descent from heaven of the fire of the Lord, which was called to affirm all the parts of our sanctification in order to clothe us with the powers to accomplish the next parts of sanctification. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. The time for the offering of an evening of an evening sacrifice in the image of harvest or the image of justice that was fulfilled during harvest, which God fulfills through the fruit of our spirit, praising His name. The descent of the fire of God from heaven, which devoured the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and the water that was in the trench, was a descent of the Holy Spirit upon the sacrifice that was offered by Elijah the prophet. This part of sanctification pointed to the right to be a partaker of the marriage feast of the Lamb, in which the Holy Spirit was accepted in the heart of a person as the Lord and ruler of his life. This state served as an affirmation of the promise that was in the heart regarding the door of hope, which gave a person the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. Behold, I stand under the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The fire of God in the face of the Holy Spirit descends upon a person only one time in life, when we build ourselves into a temple of the Holy Spirit with all of its belongings, according to all its designs. And this fire comes upon the sacrifice laid on the altar of the Lord. 
If a person through instruction and faith has not built himself into a house of prayer in order to be the house of God, then the fire that he feels in his heart will be false to God, because of which it foreshadows the perdition of a person. Because they truly feel a supernatural power which entices many people and gives them f- that knowledge that God is with them and they do not know that with them is a spirit of delusion. They call the spirit of delusion the Holy Spirit just as the people had called Baal Yahweh, Yahweh of Baal. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, They bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. The king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Only one time did the fire come down, and now this fire had to be upheld. From this fire was ignited the censer and was brought upon the altar. From this fire it was poured into, and it was brought into the it had to be upheld. If the fire had dimmed on the altar of sacrifice, this meant, meant that God had was had left, the Holy Spirit had departed. And He does not leave. Why did He leave? Because people stopped placing wood on the altar. And wood, and wood are prayer words. If there are no words of prayer, the Holy Spirit will depart, will leave. He needs words of prayer that would meet the requirements of the perfect will of God. And then it would be possible to serve God and bring a sacrifice to God, to offer Him a sacrifice of prayer. And so in the fifth part, Elijah, filled with the powers of the Holy Spirit, commands the people to seize all the prophets of Baal and lead them to the Kishon Valley, slaughtered them there. And leading them there, he slaughtered them there. This is an image in which the prophet Elijah in the face of our new man, fulfilling retribution of the judgment of God over the prophets of Baal, destroyed in his body the power of death in order to erect the power of life. The law of God living in our heart gave us power to reigning sin in the face of the old man living in our body, because of which the law of God becomes his weapon which he relies on in which the, holy, which the old man trusts in. But when the stronger one in the face of our new man attacks the old man and defeats him, then he takes the weapon which gave power to the old man and which he relied on and shares with God power over his body which was stolen from the old man. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own pallets, this is a parable of Christ, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. 
Having said this, Christ says, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it happened, as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Why did Satan come there? Why does Satan come in the hearts of religious people and they begin to f tra transform the format of ministry and call them charismatics when they truly are not? Why does this occur? Because they did not uphold the words of prayer, the fire with the words of prayer, and the Holy Spirit left the fire dimmed out and then came a false fire upon those words that did not meet the requirements of the will of God. Their prayer did not meet the requirements of the will of God. That's why the Holy Spirit had departed these churches, these people, and the spirit of seduction came in there instead. The sixth part of our sanctification, which in this component is the price, giving us the right to power to inherit the portion promised to us in the name of God, Rock of Israel, Elijah in the face of our new man, returning from the Kishon Valley, where he killed 450 prophets of Baal, again descended to the top of Mount Carmel, fell on his face before God and began to call rain on the land of Israel. It should be noted that all that Elijah said and did was a direct commandment of God, which he received through revelation in his spirit. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So take a look here. He did all of this according to revelation from God. However, for God to fulfill the word given to us, which we accepted in our heart and proclaimed with our lips before Ahab, represented the rational sphere of our soul, led by the emotional sphere of our soul in the face of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of Sidon. It was necessary for Elijah to conduct a prayer, which we will talk about in greater detail. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. So he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. So this is a very a very difficult position or a pose to bow your back in a way for your head to be between your knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. So seven times, Go there and come back and give me an answer. So he went there. He came to pass the seventh time. He went up the mountain, went up to the sea, then went back up the mountain and said, Master, there is nothing there. And then again, he descended down the mountain because he was supposed to do this seven times. Then it came to pass the seventh time and he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. 
because uh, the rain would be so heavy and the hail so the storm would, that you'd have to be saved. These this kind of rainstorms do not exist in Israel normally. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So this was a chariot, the chariot of kings, and a horse that had... Uh, if regular horses, they might go 50 kilometers, 60 an hour, imagine what the chariot of a king, how quickly it, it, it went. And Elijah ran in front of the chariot. The rain sent by God in the land, according to the prayer of Elijah, after three and a half years of famine, is the time referring to the middle of the week. Revealed to the prophet Daniel, in which God, through the prayer of the remnant chosen by him, abiding in the spirit of Elijah, attends to send rain to the land of Israel. So at this time, when we are going to be clothed into incorruption, is going to begin the strongest form of evangelism that had ever existed before on earth. Such had never been and after will never be. Because all of them all of these false apostles, they had made a bent on evangelism. Take a look, these multitude of churches, the stadiums that are filled with people, what is going to come of it? I look at these servants who filled stadiums all their whole lives, and there were thousands of people that had come up to repent. Now they might have perhaps even a thousand or a thousand and a half of people. Where are all these people throughout your whole life, throughout your whole uh, service of evangelism? Where do they, where do they go? It is a kind of latter rain which is given for the remnant chosen by God for the ripening of the fruit of righteousness. This remnant chosen by God is a category of wise virgins who had oil in the vessel of their heart and the dignity of truth in the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in the heart. The essence of this latter rain expresses itself in the marriage supper of the Lamb when there will be a special outpouring of revelations of the Holy Spirit. The time of the latter rain is intended to show the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins in order to prepare the wise for rapture and the foolish to make them wise. So the first thing that Elijah said to Ahab after he slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal at the Kishon Valley in front of him was, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. And Ahab went to eat and drink. Despite the fact that in the earthly dimension there was not the slightest hint of the sound of rain, and there was not a single cloud in the sky for three and a half years, Elijah told Ahab that he was hearing the sound of rain. In Hebrew, the phrase, There is a sound of abundance of rain means thunder rolls are heard in the approaching roar of a strong wind. This means that Elijah first heard this noise in his spirit, who was able to see and hear what God was doing in the invisible sphere, thanks to the presence of the Mimunarim in his heart. Considering that everything that God creates after the creation of man on the planet Earth, He does it through the con confession of the lips of a man who is similar to Him according to the characteristics of His perfection. And the essence of such perfection is that a person is able to penetrate into the depths of the heart of God in order to know what God has prepared for those who love Him and to transform what God has prepared for Him 
from the invisible spiritual sphere into the visible physical sphere. As it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And therefore, Elijah's task, after hearing the sound of rain, was to transform this approaching sound of rain from the invisible sphere into the visible sphere through his lips, confessing the invisible rain which he did, telling Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. When the rational sphere of our soul in the face of King Ahab receives a revelation from the rational sphere of our spirit in the face of the prophet Elijah regarding the coming rain that carries the life-giving force of life, it receives the ability to eat and drink this revelation that is given to our to the rational sphere of our soul in order to be comforted. Go, eat, and drink. Be comforted. Whereas Elijah again ascended on top of Carmel and bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And if the top of Carmel was for Elijah the promise of rain, necessary for the salvation of his soul and his body, into the inheritance of which he could enter through the covenant made with God, then to demonstrate his dwelling in a covenant with God, Elijah bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. In doing so, he had demonstrated or testified that he has a covenant with God, that it is the head between the knees is a sign of a covenant made with God. Both in the time of Abraham and in the time of Moses, in order to make God a promise about the fulfillment of the covenant made with him, it was necessary during worship to put your head between your knees. For example, in order for Abraham to make his steward Eleazar swear to take a wife for his son Isaac from his family and house, he told him to put his hand under his thigh or under his knee under his knee and swear that he would complete this assignment for him. So this was an image when someone placed it before, uh, behind the knees and swear to me. So he had called him into a covenant so that he can take Isaac from a daughter of the land of Canaan that he would go, that he would not take it from the land of Canaan but he would go into the land of Mesopotamia and take a wife from there. Abraham was old, well advanced in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of the earth that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife from my son Isaac so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter likewise Jacob, so that his son Joseph would bury him in the grave of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, told him to put his hand under his thigh and swore to him that he would fulfill his request. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. 
please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. And so Elijah put his head between his knees to assure God that he would fulfill the will of God, which God had revealed to him, in order to send rain to the land of Israel. The image of this rain, which God desired to shed on the land of Israel, shows the image of our earthly body during the evening sacrifice in which God wanted to raise up the power of life, turning our perishable body into a state of an imperishable body. And therefore, putting his head between his knees, Elijah showed God contrition and humility of the Spirit before his perfect will, which gave God reason to revive the spirit of a humble person and revive his broken heart. For thus says the High and Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This means that the spirit of the humble and contrite ones was found in death, and now is necessary to resurrect it. Question arises, who is a servant serving the prophet Elijah, and why the need to send the servant seven times from Mount Carmel to the sea, so that he he could tell the prophet what he sees. By the image of the sea, one should understand the plans of God, which the servant of the prophet Elijah watched, in order to find out what God wants to, when God wants to fulfill His plans to inform Elijah about it. And therefore, by the image of the servant serving the prophet Elijah, one should understand the image of his young son, who became his servant and his voluntary slave, and the dignity of the fruit of his spirit, which could tell him what God intends to do. So this is going to be the fruit of our spirit. Thanks to the fruit of the spirit which we are going to produce, it is thanks to this fruit that we are going to be able to penetrate into the thoughts of God and find out what God wants to do and when He will do it. The number seven is an image of fullness which relates to the Church of Christ in the face of the remnant chosen by God and therefore sending His servant to go to the sea seven times and then return to the top of Carmel Elijah testified before God about his organized involvement to the Church of Christ. So it is this uh, seven times sent, he says, Lord, I am a part, a part of your church. God had revealed to him who the Church of Christ is, and in order to have a partaking to the Church of Christ, it was, he, he says, do this seven times. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him, raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Take a look at how God magnified the church in Christ Jesus. The church is found in Christ Jesus. He magnifies the church in Christ Jesus above all His name. And this is the number seven. This number seven belongs to the church. The image of the cloud, as small as a man's hand, is the image of the remnant chosen by God, inscribed on the hands of God. So he had seen the church of Jesus Christ. 
the size of a palm. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Therefore, when the servant for the seventh time descended from the top of Carmel to the sea and saw a cloud the size of a man's hand, which carried water in itself, which in the outpouring of rain could serve for some in favor and for others for punishment, he saw the authority of the Church of Jesus Christ inscribed on the hands of God. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds, he scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance. They may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. This amazing purpose of the clouds of the Lord carrying in themselves life for some and death for others is the perfection of Heavenly Father manifested in his clouds in justice. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So he showed Ahab the way. He went not after him, but in front, in order to show him the way. The fact that Elijah fled before Ahab's chariot before Jezreel indicated that he was accomplishing the salvation of his soul. He was saving Ahab, his soul, because the image of Elijah's girding of his loins is an image of the girding of the loins of the rational sphere of our soul with truth. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought up to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Running before Ahab to Jezreel is an image of the holiness that we demonstrate in salt, sowing with salt the works of the flesh and unclean thoughts, because the meaning of the word Jezreel means God will sow with salt. He, wa he ran all the way until Jezreel, God will sow with salt. Therefore, Elijah's faith consisted in the fact that he could distinguish the revelations of God in his spirit from the predictions of the prophets of Baal. As a result, he could successfully cooperate his faith with the faith of God. As it is written, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so, we together, although in short definitions, had viewed sanctification, how we must conduct sanctification, how the new man in the face of Elijah had conducted this in these levels. These are not just images. If these were just events, we would read about it, and then we would see the events of the past. But Scripture has contained these images so that we can see these in ourselves. If we do not see them in ourselves, it doesn't matter if we've read them. It doesn't matter if we know them. We must apply them to ourselves and to see ourselves in all of these characters. 
which we have tried to do. I understand that perhaps not everything has found its place or everything is so clear. It's like, it's as if it's clear and at the same time not. This means that in the future sermons, there are going to be, uh, it's going to make more sense more and more. And therefore, right now, we are going to bend our knees and bow our heads and we will pray. And we are going to thank God for that word which we were able to have today. And may the Lord bless us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again thank you for this opportunity to be with your people in fellowship, fellowship of your people upon this holy place that has been blessed by you, which the enemy has tried to encroach on not only once, and which you have kept and you have shown that each encroachment of the enemy was the benefit for us and for him was for shame. And therefore, now we thank you, Lord, that we have this place as our belonging and that we can worship in it. And the enemy continues. But at the same time, we thank you, Lord, that we can put him to shame in ourselves in the face of our old man not agreeing with him, binding him, and preparing him to be cast out into the abyss so that our body can be freed from him, and so that your law, the law of holiness, could become our friend and could not rise against us, and so that we can, with this law, demonstrate great favor to you so that you for you give your grace and your favor to that person who demonstrates his grace toward you and his favor you have said come to me turn to me and I will turn to you you have made us sovereign so that we could ourselves select who we turn to to Baal or to Yahweh may your name your holy name be blessed your great and your holy and magnified name we thank you that you teach us to listen to your word in reverence and trembling preparing our hearts to hearing the word and not giving in this service places for our lusts so that we do not leap just as the worshippers of Baal had done upon the holy place and so that we do not surround ourselves with this delusion. May your blessing and your mercy be upon your children who have opened their hearts and you have enlightened their mind and have given them your spirit so that they can know you. And I ask you, to comfort their hearts in this because the enemy continues to blame them with an unrecognizable force because the old man now does one thing, one thing, and he has only one goal, to try to blame us. If previously he had justified us in our lawlessness and had helped us to serve and we thought that we were serving God, that now he is only... Uh, 
causing us to doubt, not acknowledging your blood that was spilled for us. He continues to uh, cause us doubt that we have been left by those sins and that we have repented and you have erased from your memory. I thank you that we cannot pay attention to to this. And as soon as he begins to blame us, that we can immediately begin to give thanks that you have erased our sins from your memory so that in doing so we can bind him once and forever and and tie him up into the prison until he with a noise is cast out we thank you for this revelation of this great power that relates to the end days and prepares us we know that this time is so close that it can happen at any moment that's why I ask you I pray that each person that hears these words could be prepared, could be ready for this for this coming so that you can clothe their bodies into the pearl of incorruption so that in their hearts could be clearly engraved this revelation so that you as the one who reads can easily read it. For this it is necessary for us to continually meditate upon this to search your ways and to be sanctified just as the prophet Elijah had done. He had restored the altar of the Lord and he had dug a trench. He had separated himself from all of those that did not worship the living God but worshipped Baal instead. We thank you, the Father of heaven and earth, that you are our God and that you will not forsake us. May once and forever the chains of of sin be destroyed. Allow your saints who are found in the chains of sin and the authority of their lusts to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to you and to call the inexistent power of incorruption their bodies as existent so that you can impute this to them as righteousness. I understand that Satan is going to blame us. I understand that even we in our distress might blame one another, but allow us to accept this truth so that despite our fall, however many times we will fall, as you have said, the righteous will fall seven times but will get up. Allow us to get up again and again and to proclaim who we are in Christ Jesus and what you have done for us. I ask you, may the works of devil be destroyed in the lives of your people. May every illness be destroyed. I know that there is not a lot left to carry this and that soon this hour will come when you will glorify your church on earth and you will take off the curse of illnesses off of her. I thank you that you have placed this on the counts of each of us in Christ Jesus. And we proclaim this and we thank you for this, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.